0: you Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of The Rise Podcast. This is Brandon Garland. I'm glad you're listening. I hope that 2018 is off to a great start. I hope that your resolutions of being vegan and working out five times a day and only drinking healthy things like water and kombucha and protein powder and stuff like that is off to a great start. I want to help you with something else, though, that I think is uh, as valid as your other resolutions may be. I have one resolution that I really believe... Uh, In addition to what we already talked about, about our identity, I believe this, um, you can think of it as a resolution, you really don't have to. What we're going to call it is seven steps to sinning less. That's the topic I want to speak about today. Seven steps to sinning less, and whether you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, or whether you would not quite identify yourself as that, um, maybe you wouldn't use the word sin, but I would propose that all of us want to get better in 2018, that we want to be better people. We want to be kinder, nicer, more loving, more joyful, more peace-filled people. We want to be better in this year than we were before. And the word the Bible uses for doing something that is less than what God uh, intends for us as humanity is the word sin. Now, we get some weird ideas about sin, but sin all sin is, is doing something contrary to the design of God for your existence as a human being whom he made in his image. Now, before you get it twisted, and some people have gotten it twisted, um, God does not hate people who sin. Everyone sinned. It says in the Bible that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It also says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God does not hate people who sin, but rather in the same way that we might hate some drug that causes someone that we love to be messed up. God hates sin. It's not that we hate the person that does the drug, we hate the action of doing the drug because it ruins the life quality of the person. In the same way sin ruins our life quality, therefore God does not hate us, but rather he hates the sin. So I wanna look at Genesis 3, which recounts the first sin of all time, and I believe that in that chapter we're gonna find seven things that are shockingly common to our own sin. And then after we look at that, we're gonna look at seven solutions to these seven problems because I believe that God wants us to live a life that's free of sin and its effects. But you can't walk in victory until you first know the problem and find out how to overcome it. So let's look at it. I'm gonna start in Genesis 2, verse 25, and then move on. We need a couple verses in Genesis 3, and then we'll talk. So it says this, Genesis 2:25. Adam and his wife, Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you were in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I believe in this passage we find seven mistakes that were made by both the man and the woman. And I believe that these same seven mistakes are what we do when we sin and when we miss God's call on our lives. Mistake number one, the woman talked back to the enemy. She engaged in a conversation with Satan. Now, here's the problem with that is that when you're talking to somebody, me and one of my best friends, we strongly disagree about most things about sports and he's a big Tom Brady fan and I'm a huge Cam Newton fan. Now, here's the truth. Neither of us are ever going to change our minds about how much we love Cam Newton and Tom Brady, respectively. No matter how many times we talk about it, it's not going to change. It doesn't matter how many stats he gives me or I give him. Our opinions are going to remain steadfast. The enemy is a lot like me and my friend about Tom Brady and Cam Newton. In that, he's committed to your destruction and there's nothing you can do about it. So when you engage in conversation with him, you're talking to someone who hates you. And there's nothing that will change that fact. So engaging in conversation with him only gives him the freedom and ability to work and operate in your mind to lead you to do something that God himself would have you not do for your own good. Her first mistake and our first mistake when we fall into sin is that we engage in conversation with the enemy. Mistake number two is that Eve didn't know what God said. It sounds like she did know what God said, because in verse 2, she starts quoting God. And she says, well, she says, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. And then she starts quoting God and says, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. God never said to them, you will certainly die. What God said is, don't touch it, don't eat of it. She added to his words, and really, she just didn't know What his words were. Her second big mistake, and oftentimes our second big mistake is, either we don't know his word, or we don't remember it when the time comes. Mistake three, she didn't believe that God had her best in mind 100% of the time. Satan's whole argument to the woman is, God is withholding something good from you, so take it yourself. If you're committed to the belief that God is committed to your good, No offer to do something outside of his will will be attractive. Because you'll know that whatever he has told you to do is for your good. And whatever he's told you not to do is for your good. If you believe that he's committed to your good, you'll want to listen. If you don't believe that, quite frankly, I don't blame you if you sin. And I don't blame you if you view God and church and the Bible as boring. Because all of it is coming from someone who, in your mind, has something less than the best for you. If you don't believe God has your best in mind, you won't want to obey him. And that was mistake number three by the woman in The Fall of Man. Mistake number four, she trusted her own wisdom above that which God had spoken. That is in verse six, and it says that the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, so she took some and ate it. God had said not to eat it, but in her eyes, in her mind, to her way of thinking, it looked good. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, both of our Bibles being open, looking at the same scripture and talking about it, and ultimately coming to the same conclusion, and then I've had that person say back to me, But but Brandon, I just can't do that. Brandon, I just can't I just won't believe that. There's just no way. I'm not doing that, believing that, saying that, acting like that. I, I don't I know that's what it says, but I just don't I just don't agree. And I want you to know that whenever you elevate your wisdom above God's, you're choosing a limited person who knows some things instead of a unlimited God who at all times knows all things. It doesn't make sense. Your wisdom is far more limited than his wisdom, and when you choose yours over his, you are inhibiting yourself from the best life that God has for you, and that was the exact mistake that they made in the fall in Genesis 3. Mistake five, her sin didn't stop with her. It says in verse 6, that she gave a piece of fruit to her husband. And I want you to know, your sin will never stay with you. Your sin will always, and I i just want to say again, your sin will always impact somebody else. There is no such thing as a sin that only harms you. Sin will always promise that you can keep it a secret, and you can keep it isolated, and you can keep it down, and you can keep it tame. But that's like believing that you can keep a lion cub tame as your house pet in your room and that no one will ever see it. One day that thing is going to grow too big for you to be sneaking at some steak out of your dinner plate a couple times a week and he's going to be happy. One day he's going to grow up into a full-size lion and he's not going to fit in your room anymore. I think one of the most striking examples of this and maybe we don't talk about this enough so maybe it'll jar you a little bit for the 30 seconds we're going to talk about it but man I, I want to say that the average age that a young man views pornography for the first time. I believe it's age nine. It's either age nine or age 10 that a young man first views pornography. And I believe that statistically girls view it by about age 11. So before we hit our teenage years in this culture that we're in, uh, most young people have viewed pornography. Now, the truth is, pornography says, hey, just indulge yourself, feel good, it's fine, no one else has to know, this is between you and yourself, it doesn't matter. But I promise you this, no pedophile, no rapist, no, not to say that these are on the same levels, but no adulterer who's cheated on their spouse has ever just woken up one day and said, oh, I'm going to cheat on my wife, oh, I'm going to cheat on my husband, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rape another human being, I'm going to do things with... a a child, like that's never happened, I promise you this. Since the advent of pornography, the vast, vast, vast majority of all people committing sexual crimes started with pornography, and they thought that it would stay limited, that it would stop with them, but just like Eve and her sin, that sin spread, and it had negative consequences on other people. So whether your sin is sexual, like pornography, or whether it's any other type of sin, there's no such thing as a secret sin, and there's no such thing as a sin that only affects you. It's impossible. Mistake six, they hid from God. Instead of going to God, they hid from him. It says that they heard God walking in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And that's exactly what happens to us. We feel this overwhelming sense of shame and it isolates us. Mistake six is that we hide from God. And the number seven is that they avoided responsibility for their sin. In verse 12. We haven't read these yet, but this is their response to God when He's asking them about what happened. He says to the man, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. Notice that neither of these responses are, God, you're right. I sinned. I'm sorry. I have no right to ask you this, but please forgive me. Neither of Neither Adam nor Eve took responsibility for their sin, but rather they shifted the blame onto someone else. The problem with that is that when you shift the blame onto someone else, when you shift the responsibility to someone else, you can't change something you're not responsible for. So if I don't believe that I'm responsible to keep my house clean, then I'm not going to help my family keep my house clean. I don't believe it's my responsibility, so I can't do it. But if I believe that it's my responsibility to keep my part of the house clean, then guess what? I'm going to do it. But what you don't believe you're responsible for, you'll never take steps to change. So if you don't take responsibility for your sin, you'll never take any real steps to changing it. That's the seventh problem they had and seventh mistake that they made is they didn't take responsibility. So let's look real quick, seven solutions to these problems. Problem number one is that Eve engaged in conversation with the devil. And let me just give you a quick response next time the devil starts talking to you. It's a quick couple words. I promise you it's effective. Here's what I would tell the devil instead of talking to him. I'll tell the devil this. Shut your lying mouth. The devil is the father of lies and he only has the ability to communicate in untruths and variations of the truth. He can never tell you the truth and he is unwaveringly committed to your harm. So next time he starts to talk, you tell him to shut up and remind him of his future, which is eternal destruction in the lake of fire. The only problem is The devil doesn't speak in this ominous, evil, villain, movie character voice. He actually sounds exactly like you. The only way to tell if it's him talking, it's not by the sound of the voice. It's by the content of what's being said. If it's negative, if it's depressing, if it's hopeless, if it's contrary to what God says, if it leads you into sin, it's him. And so when you hear those thoughts in your mind, instead of thinking about them, pondering on them, giving it a little bit of time, you tell that to shut up and that it has no hope or future because you are God's and not the enemies, and you don't submit to those things anymore. Number two, know his word inside and out, inside and out. Here's the thing, when you don't know and you don't believe his word, it'll lead you to not knowing your identity. Because your identity is clearly spelled out in his word. And when you don't know what his word says about you, you'll live below your worth. Because here's the thing. Satan's whole ploy and plan was, hey, you guys aren't like God. Do this and you'll be like God. But the truth of God's word is they were already like God. He made them in his image. They didn't truly believe it. They didn't truly know it in their hearts And so they didn't act like it. So solution two is know and believe his word inside and out, especially as it pertains to your identity. Step one, don't talk to the devil. Step two, know God's word. Spend time in it each and every day. I'm not just saying that because it sounds good and it's a good religious thing to do. No, 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 no. It's because in his word, you will find the steps to victorious life and you'll find out who you are. And once you know who you are, you'll never go back to who you used to be. It'd be like someone who lives in a mansion going back to the slums that they grew up in. It makes no sense and you would never do it. So the better you know who you are, the less you'll want to walk in sin know his word inside and out especially as it pertains to your identity number three the third problem is that she didn't believe that god had her best in mind i would say the solution to that is man believe jeremiah twenty nine eleven when god says that he has a plan for your life a, a plan not to harm you but to prosper you it's for your good it's to give you a hope and a future. Romans 8, 8 says that God works all things together for your good. If you believe that God is committed to your good, that means that every commandment that he gives you is not to hinder you or restrain you, but it's to allow you to walk in the freedom of his plan for your life. And that plan is good. Believe that he's committed to your good. Number four, they trusted their own wisdom over the word of God. And the solution to that is commit to listen to the word before the temptation arises. In the moment, whatever your flesh wants is always gonna look better. That's why you have to make that commitment ahead of time. You have to say, no matter what it seems like, sounds like, looks like, to my eyes, to my mind, to my physical senses, I'm trusting the wisdom of a all-wise God above what I see and think. Choose ahead of time to trust his word over your wisdom. Problem number five is that her sin led to another sin. And I would say the solution to that is rather than letting your sins spread to someone else, confess your sin to someone else. If you don't have a brother or sister, specifically a brother or sister in Christ who is the same gender, so I would say, guys, if you don't have a guy, girls, if you don't have a girl, you can confess your sin to find that. Victory comes not from isolation, but from getting together with the right people and It says in the Proverbs that a three-chord bond is not easily broken. The principle is that in relationship with others, we are made stronger. Don't try to fight your sin on your own. Don't let your sin grow so big that it impacts someone else. Confess your sin to someone you trust. Number six, the problem is that they made the mistake of hiding from God out of shame. 1 John nine says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead of letting shame block you from God, go straight into his arms. No matter what you've done, they're always open. Shame always wants to isolate you because you weren't created to experience shame. Did you notice verse 25 of Genesis 2? Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You were not made to feel shame. But when you sin, this sense comes over you that makes you feel unworthy, lost, and undeserving of love. So you hide from God and from people. But rather than letting your sin hide you from God, go straight to God. It says that if you own up to your sin, he will forgive you. Don't allow Satan to not only lead you into sin... Lead you into shame that isolate you from God. May your first response to sin be, I'm going straight to the Father, because I know He's gonna forgive me. Number seven, finally, they didn't take responsibility. And I'd say the simple solution is don't only take responsibility when you do sin, but take responsibility for your holiness before sin happens. Cause here's the truth: 2nd Corinthians 5, 17 says that if you're in Christ, The new creation has come. Behold, the old has passed away and the new is here. That means that right now, if you're a Christian, you are a saint, not a sinner. Your natural state is to do righteous things. The new is come. The old is gone. You have every ability to live a holy life just like Jesus because the same spirit that empowered him to live holy is in you, empowering you to live holy. So don't just take responsibility of your sin when you do sin take responsibility for your holiness here and now, because God's empowered you to live holy as he is holy. And I just want, at the end of this thing, I know it's long and I really am trying to limit the time of these episodes, but I don't want us to just go through seven steps to sin less and just be done with it, because there is no effort that we can make to truly remove sin from us. Only God can do that. But lest we think that God decided to defeat and remove sin from us in Matthew chapter 1 or Matthew 27, when the the crucifixion begins to unveil and the trial of Jesus is happening, I want us to see that God's plan to save us from sin doesn't start in the New Testament, but rather it's in the very same chapter in Genesis that sin itself happens. It says in verse 15 of Genesis 3 that God's talking to Satan, and he says that, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He The offspring of the woman, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. What's that say? That says that an offspring of the woman will destroy and kill the enemy, but that the enemy would crush his heel. And prophetically that's saying that there'd be a man who would come thousands of years later, and his name was Jesus, and on a cross his heel would be struck. That's a metaphor for a small injury. That small injury was death, death on a cross, it's actually the greatest, most torturous death imaginable in the Roman world, but that was only like a strike on the heel, like stepping on a small pebble and getting a bruise on your heel, because the man who died on that cross was also God, and he raised up from the grave three days later and defeated sin, hell, and the grave, crushing the head of Satan right after man fell. God promised salvation. And salvation came through Jesus he's the one who crushed the head of Satan and he's the same one who will crush the head of Satan's hold with sin on your life his only requirement is that you turn to him in faith believing that he is who he says he is and you surrender your life to him when you surrender your life to him allow his spirit to work in you and you say God I know there's some things I want to do there's some things that feel good in the moment that I'm surrendering all of that to you and trusting your plan for my life, He will begin to remove that sin from you, and He's the only one who can do it.